This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday morning as we get into it. The Nuggets had an off day this past Monday. They will play the Detroit Pistons tonight. Not a lot to talk about in that game. That's a game that the Nuggets should win pretty handily. Best player on the Pistons is either probably Derrick Rose or Christian Wood. And you've probably heard of Derrick Rose. I wouldn't blame you if you hadn't heard of Christian Wood before. He's a backup center for them right now. Surprisingly, not sure why he's playing a backup role, but that's kind of the point with this Detroit Pistons team. They are clearly tanking. They do not have Andre Drummond anymore. Reggie Jackson and Markeith Morris were bought out and will be playing for the Clippers and Lakers respectively over the rest of the season. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, I would expect a blowout in that game. The Nuggets should be locked in. They should be ready to go. They have the personnel to blow the Pistons out of the water in this game. But the real interesting one is coming up this Friday, and the Denver Stiffs are partnering with the Nuggets for another watch party this Friday night at Stoney's Uptown Joint. Stoney's is awesome. I really love it there. Fun atmosphere. They have some great appetizers, including some pizza fries. That's a personal favorite of mine. They have lots of beers on tap. There's plenty of screens to watch any of the games that you want. And it's going to be the Nuggets game, and they're going to be taking on the Los Angeles Clippers on Friday night. That game starts at 8.30. The event kicks off at 7.30. I'll be there along with Jenna Garcia, Zach Mikosh. Some of the other stiffs will be there as well going to be a lot of fun. There will be ticket giveaways, jersey giveaways, signed merchandise, prize packs, much more. Partnering with the Denver Nuggets has allowed us to be able to do some of these events. We're really looking for this one to be a big one. This is going to be a big game. The Nuggets will probably be facing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for the first time. First time that they played the Clippers earlier this year, Paul George didn't play. So this will be a good time for the Nuggets to really vet themselves against an elite team a team that many expected to win the NBA championship at the beginning of the year. And they still have high expectations. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to watching this game at Stoney's. If you've got other places to be, go to do those things too. But make sure you stop in at the Denver Stiffs watch party. We're going to have a great time. It's going to be a lot of fun. The rest of this podcast is going to be dedicated to a Q&A. I asked for some questions on Twitter. Got some really good ones that I think will drive some really good discussion. Stuff about load management for the rest of the year. Nikola Jokic's place in the franchise history among Denver Nuggets. And then 
my serious thoughts on what I think the Nuggets can do in the playoffs this year. Who they want to face, who they should be avoiding, and whether they can win an NBA championship. So stick around, stay tuned for all three of those segments. I'll be answering these questions in all three. Without further ado, let's get into some load management. Okay, Derek Valdez asks on Twitter, how many minutes can Jokic play per game before we have have to become worried about him playing too much? I understand he is durable, but everyone has limits. And I got another question that was very similar from Chef Baldwin. He asks, will Malone load manage Millsap and possibly others going down the stretch? He did not do that at all last year, and I truly believe that's why San Antonio gave them so many problems. And you know, it's very possible. It's very possible that that was the reason the Nuggets were very reliant on Jamal Murray, Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic. During last season, Millsap for defensive purposes, Murray and Jokic for the two-man game. The Nuggets are deeper this year. They have more options. They have guys that they can go to and rely on for big minutes. Monte Morris has has ingrained himself in a, a larger role than he had last year. When everybody was healthy last season, Monte Morris played around 16 minutes per game. It looks like post-All-Star break, he's going to be up over 20 pretty much every game, and that's playing next to Jamal Murray, playing and leading the second unit. So if he can give them some minutes, and that would prevent that would potentially give Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic some good time off. But I'm a big believer in load management, especially for a team like the Nuggets that has this major rotation crunch. They've got a lot of guys that deserve to play, and they have a lot of guys that have to play, like Nikola Jokic. It's really hard to manage Nikola like, and, and tell him to sit games out because he just doesn't do that. That's not his mentality. He always shows up to work. He's been great. He's rarely misses games. He's the also the engine around which everything runs. And earlier in the year, I think it was a week or two ago, I laid out some games late in the calendar. I think it makes sense to give him a night off. But it really comes down to whether Jokic is wanting to do that and if the Nuggets have to tell him to sit out. Because I don't think he's going to outright ask it's just not what his mentality is so if he asks that he needs a rest then Malone's going to rest him Jokic doesn't really ask for that though if I were the Nuggets and they basically had ensured a top three seed by the end of March kind of in that late March area I would give serious consideration to load managing him in one of those two games either March 31st at Golden State that's a back-to-back Nuggets have played in Pepsi Center on March 30th. If they just said, hey, Jokic, make the trip, but you don't have to play, just support the guys and we'll see how that goes. I think that's probably in everybody's best interest because there are going to be a lot of players that need to play and a lot of players that if Denver's in that situation, you want to make sure that Michael Porter Jr. is ready to go. You want to make sure that Mason Plumlee is confident just in case he has to step up for Nikola Jokic in some cases. He'll have to play. There will be some situations where the Nuggets need Mason Plumlee in the playoffs. I would also give a lot of credence to resting Jokic in one of the last game or two, uh, as long as it doesn't impact seeding, as long as the Nuggets aren't 
jockeying for position late, then if they have things locked up, then I would expect them to rest Jokic in one or two of those games. As for the rest of the team, though, I think you load manage away. I think you give Murray and Barton some time. They're always seeming to be hampered by nagging injuries, but of course they do remain important to success in the regular season. And it's not a guarantee that the Nuggets can still win games if they have Will Barton or Paul or Jamal Murray out. Millsap has sat out a lot of games. He's probably fine. But would he accept a night or two off in March when the Nuggets are playing a bunch of games back-to-back and on the road? Yeah, I think he would. I think there there's definitely some logic there. He probably wouldn't say no to it. Jeremy Grant probably wouldn't say no to it either. He's missed only one game this year. He's a guy who plays a lot of games every single year. Uh, he was in the high 70s last year, I believe, and he was playing over 33 minutes a night. So he, he's had a lot of time. He's had a lot of basketball over the last few years of his career. And if he's only missed one game this year, I, I don't think it would be a bad thing to give him a slight break. Uh, Monte Morris has played in every game so far. The Nuggets saw what happened when they relied on him to play every game last year. Uh, he played 82 games, I think, maybe 81. And he shot 0 of 13 in, a, in the playoffs. The Nuggets need him at his best. They need him to be the backup point guard capable of giving Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic rest. If he's not that guy, then things change. Gary Harris, Gary Harris, excuse me, Gary Harris could be rested for sure, but he probably needs as many shooting reps as possible to get his shot back and feel comfortable there. And then between Michael Porter Jr., Mason Plumlee, Torrey Craig, I probably wouldn't play them, or they're probably not going to play enough for rest to really matter, but of those three, Torrey Craig probably deserves a day off. He's been hustling no matter what for every single ball when he's on the floor. Uh, He could probably do with resting his body for a little bit and making sure that he's in top form for the playoffs. Next question, at Tony Cuso24 asks, What's up with Jordan McRae being pulled with 12 seconds and getting upset? Um... I didn't see it real time. I thought it was very curious that he was pulled with that, with such a late clock scenario after being in garbage time. I think that Michael Malone probably regrets that decision, especially if Jordan McRae was upset. He looked pretty upset in the videos that I've seen since that game. But after the game, he was fine. There was nothing notable in the locker room. He was just talking to teammates. He was talking to Noah Vonley. Nothing major. He didn't. Seem upset in any way. Um, So I'd imagine that Malone probably doesn't do that again, especially to him. If you insert a player into garbage time, taking them out two minutes later and not letting them finish the game, it's pretty insulting for a lot of these guys. And I don't really blame Jordan McRae that he was frustrated. And Malone will say that he is, he's the guy who dishes out the rotations and you play the minutes that you're asked to play. And, McCray and him probably talked it out. They probably figured out, hey, this is something that I won't do again, my fault, but you also can't show me up, and that's not going to be cool. Um, it wasn't even really a showing up, though. McCray just looked visibly frustrated. Like, that's not, that happens. It, it's a realistic thing to happen. So those two probably talked. They're probably on the same page. I wouldn't make that much of it. I've probably made more of it in answering this question than it really is. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. here on Nuggets Numbers. Thank you for tuning in on this Tuesday morning. At Jordan Dan 53 asks, in the final stretch of Jokic's fifth year, can we finally say he's the best Nugget ever? Or does he still need some more time with the team to earn that title? So it got me thinking about the players that I would put on the Nuggets Mount Rushmore, uh, the four major faces of the Nuggets at this point. Right now, I would say there are a lot of candidates. Alex English, David Thompson, Dan Issel, Carmelo Anthony, Fat Lever, and Dikembe Mutombo are the guys that really stood out to me. I would say Jokic is in the back tier of that category. I'd say, like, in in terms of Fat Lever and Dikembe Mutombo, I think Jokic is right there in terms of his his overall team impact. Uh, He's already helped the Nuggets win a playoff series. It took... Carmelo Anthony, six years in a Nuggets uniform to do that. Jokic did it by year four. Uh, His numbers as a Nugget are incredible. And since this is called Nuggets numbers, and here we go, uh, Nikola Jokic is sixth in total Nuggets win shares. Uh, A win share is basically, it's a combination of factors and box score stats and efficiency that it boils down into how many wins you add to a team every single game and you amass that number over a season and that's your total win shares for the year. If you do it over the course of a career, it's basically how many wins do you add over your career is the general principle of it. And Jokic is sixth among all nuggets in his career. He's on pace this year to finish about fourth if he continues doing what he's doing and plays as many games as he has so far. Jokic is 10th in points scored. He's he's on pace to finish 9th there. He's 9th in rebounds. He's on pace to finish 6th. He's 7th in assists. He's on pace to finish 6th in assists. So anybody who's in kind of the, the top 10 of all of those categories has to be in consideration for the Mount Rushmore just from a statistical perspective. Lots of players like Carmelo Anthony, David Thompson, Alex English, Dikembe Mutombo, they've amassed a lot of numbers over the over the years that they've been in Denver. But based on sheer volume, I think Jokic has a case that he's a top five nugget already. And I would say probably behind English, Thompson, and Carmelo Anthony. If you include efficiency in those numbers, though, he's already the best of all of them. There's no question in my mind that when you consider some of the advanced metrics, when you consider... Uh, how effective he has been over these five years as opposed to guys that have been less effective but played longer. Jokic is already second in true shooting percentage to only Danny Shays, but he's taken 1,500 more career shot attempts than Danny Shays did while he was with the Nuggets from the mid to late nine or mid to late 80s into 1990. 
He's the leader in career win shares per 48. By far, that's a rate metric of the the win share statistic I shared earlier. He's the leader by far. He's also the leader in box plus minus by far, which is also kind of a an amassing of the box score stats, points, rebounds, assists, steals, things like that. He's the leader in box plus minus by far. It's not even close. He's at plus 7.8 over his career, and the next highest guy is around plus 4.1. Plus 7.8 is basically an MVP caliber player. The Nuggets haven't had that guy in their history for a long time, and, and maybe not even ever. I would say that if he takes the Nuggets to an NBA Finals this year, I think he leapfrogs into the top spot. There's no doubt in my mind that somebody who can say that they put this team on their back and took them to an NBA Finals against LeBron James, ahead of LeBron James, ahead of Kawhi Leonard, ahead of James Harden, all of these great players. If Jokic was able to get the Nuggets to a Finals, he's the only guy in the in the NBA era that would have done that for Denver. Nobody else has done it. If the Nuggets are bounced from the conference finals or in the second round, I still think he's behind Alex English and David Thompson, but he would be ahead of Carmelo Anthony for me. Carmelo Anthony has only advanced past the first round once in his Nugget career. If Jokic does it in back-to-back years, that's pretty impressive. And for somebody who is more efficient and scores and, and does everything for his team, passes, rebounds doesn't necessarily do as much of the volume scoring as Carmelo Anthony. I still think that that's pretty valuable what Jokic does. There's a lot of numbers that say Jokic is a top five player in the NBA, and there were not a lot of numbers outside of points per game that said the same thing about Carmelo Anthony. So I'm looking forward to this discussion after this after this year. If the Nuggets advance to the second round or even advance to the conference finals, then I think he's he has a very good case for the third best nugget of all time. And that's just through five years of his career. That's really impressive. And uh, it's hard to say anything more positive about Nikola Jokic than that. Next question is at Kyle and basically followed by a bunch of random numbers. He asks, Who should the Nuggets look to avoid in the first round of the playoffs, and what team would be the ideal matchup for the Nuggets that can realistically be in the playoffs for the first round? I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm going to ignore any team for the eighth seed. I think that that's probably the way to go. I don't think the Nuggets are going to get the one seed. So talking about teams like New Orleans, Memphis, Portland, I don't I think that's irrelevant to where the Nuggets are going to finish. So we're going to talk about the teams that are going to finish either in the 3 seed to the 7 seed. There there's a group of 5 teams that are are really discussed. Um and we'll ignore the Clippers for this for this exercise because I think that they're going to finish either 2 or 3 while Denver finishes either 3 or 2. So Of the four other teams, Houston, Dallas, Oklahoma City, and Utah, I think that the Nuggets should want to avoid Houston in the first round, and they should want to face Utah. 
Now let me make the case for kind of each of these teams. I think the Nuggets beat all of them in a playoff series. If the if these teams played each other a hundred times, I think the Nuggets would win at least 51 of those games against every one of these teams. That's just the caliber of team that the Nuggets have amassed over this over this stretch. They've they've added to a group that was very good last year, and they're even better now. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are better now. That's a pretty big deal. However, the teams that have a high variance are going to be the tougher matchups. They're they're the teams that could really burn Denver for just shooting well, for just getting weird. And I think Houston is as weird as they come. They they shoot a lot of threes. They play really small. I think the Nuggets would beat them and they would kill them in the paint for sure. But because Houston plays with no center, they would probably be hunting Nikola Jokic on switches for every single possession to tire him out on the offensive end. Can Jokic handle that? Can he also do that while being a dominant force for 40 minutes a game in a seven-game series? That's a lot to ask of one player. And if the Rockets are going to incessantly try and put him on an island, put him in the pick and roll, put him in an ISO against Westbrook or Harden or Eric Gordon or guys like that, like that's a that's a tough ask for Jokic. And he has proven that he can do it. I think he can do it. But there's also the possibility that the Rockets get hot or Russ gets into the lane and Jokic isn't there to provide help like he normally is. And neither is Paul Millsap because the Rockets play a five-out system. If anybody helps, then it opens up an open three. So I think there's a lot of variance there that could really hurt Denver. And if the Rockets were just to shoot over 40% in several games in a row, that would make it pretty difficult. And they are capable of doing that. They have a lot of three-point shooters that are very streaky. P.J. Tucker could hit five of seven. Austin Rivers could hit seven of eight. There's a lot of guys that are capable of doing it, and that that would scare me, despite me thinking that the Nuggets would definitely win that series. It, it's still the biggest question. Dallas is another high-variance team. They shoot a lot of threes. They're, they're 42% of their offensive three-point attempts. If we talk about that with Houston, have to talk about it the same way with Dallas. That is the second-highest rate of three-pointers in the NBA. Uh, No team outside of the Rockets, I'm pretty sure, shoots more threes than Dallas does. And that makes them dangerous. That makes them very dangerous for a Nuggets team that can be open to giving up threes because of the way that they play. Luka Doncic, very good. He's he's a lot like James Harden in that regard. He's six foot eight, handles the ball, Plays like a point guard, but also has the size and the strength to get past other guards, to really muscle even forwards, and he has the quickness to get past most forwards and bigs. So, he's a dangerous guy, and if you bring in Torrey Craig and Jeremy Grant to play him, then I think that bogs down Denver's offense for most of the time. And can Nikola Jokic really carry the load against a team that that really right now is the best offensive team in NBA history? The the Dallas Mavericks have the best offensive rating the NBA has ever seen. That's with Luka Doncic missing several games. 
Luka Doncic is very good. Kristaps could get hot from the perimeter. And very few players on Denver could really contest Kristaps Porzingis' shot. I think Denver would still win this series in five games just because I trust their defense on Doncic. And I trust Nikola Jokic to dominate in the paint. But there's enough variance there and there's enough shooters on Dallas that I think it's at least a question mark. And I think Denver should be concerned or at least take it very seriously if they were to match up with Dallas. Oklahoma City also scares me, primarily because of Chris Paul. The Nuggets just saw Chris Paul. They just saw him dominate. That dude is a machine. Denver would really struggle to match up with him without putting Torrey Craig in the game. And then you have Gary Harris as well, and that automatically changes things on the offensive end. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is very good. Danilo Gallinari, very good. Steven Adams is very good. I think the Nuggets would be in a really tough bind if they have to match up with Steven Adams off of the bench. There will be situations where Jokic is on the bench and Steven Adams is in the game, and that's a dangerous thing for Denver. Steven Adams, we just saw he grabs seven offensive rebounds and 17 rebounds for the game. That's a game changer. I don't know if Mason Plumlee can handle him. I actually don't think he can. I think that's very clear over the last couple of years. So, They scare me. Jokic would probably cook. He would probably do really well against Steven Adams. He's really made him sweat the last few games that he's played. Uh, But if Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Chris Paul, if they both were to outplay Jamal Murray, this definitely has upset potential. Dennis Schroeder can get hot for a game. Danilo Gallinari can get hot for a game. And, And if they get hot separately, and then CP3 just carries them to another couple of wins, Denver could be on the outs. So that has upset potential for sure. And that leads me to Utah, who I feel the best about right now, because they are very close to breaking. They've lost three in a row. They've lost eight of their last 12 games. They had they had won four in a row, but before that, they lost five in a row. Denver was one of the teams. Actually, I think they, they beat... Utah twice. The Jazz have been struggling to play defense, and to me, that's not really surprising. Teams have found a way to really go at Rudy Gobert over the past few games. Over the past 20 games, really. (coughs) Excuse me. He's very impressive. Rudy Gobert is a very good player, and, and people will slander him. I think he's the fourth best center in the NBA right now, and that's very fair. Uh, only outdone by Jokic, Embiid, and Carl Anthony Towns. But they are in a position where if Jokic can go at Gobert one-on-one and win that matchup, that changes so much of what the Jazz want to do. If, if Jokic can just score 25 to 30 points a game on Gobert, then that, ch- that changes everything. That's, that's the guy that the Jazz have really tethered their hopes to. And against a team like the Nuggets, Gobert has to play a ton. Any time that Jokic is on the floor and Gobert is not on the floor, he'll be facing Tony Bradley, Joe Ingles, uh, Royce O'Neal, George's Niang. That's a, that's, that's a win for Denver in those situations. So I also trust Gary Harris and Torrey Craig to make life a living hell for Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell hasn't shown the ability that when he's keyed in on 
to really be able to get his own shot efficiently lately. Um, or at least not in a very impactful way. And then Boyog Bogdanovic, he's he's a scary 20-point-per-game scorer. Joe Ingles always gives the Nuggets some trouble, but if those guys don't show up, I think Denver could really, he not, not, not maybe sweep the team, but they could definitely beat Utah in five games. That has a lot of potential to really look bad for Utah. So that's the team that I would focus on. I think that that's probably the the best way it could go for Denver. So let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll get into some of these final few questions, including about Denver's championship hopes. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. numbers thank you for tuning in on this tuesday miroslav my my guy he asks we think we know what we'll get from joker and jamal come playoffs if gary shoots 40 percent from three in the playoffs then the nuggets win it all right and another question that i got from at i miss malik too that's a pretty good handle i miss malik as well uh here she asks in your opinion, are the Nuggets serious contenders for a title this season? So I'm going to answer both of these. And the short answer, I think, Miroslav, is yes. I think that if Jokic and Murray are giving the Nuggets what we believe they can give, what they've given over the last seven games or so, Nuggets are in a great place. They're in a really, really strong position. Because if those guys can really go at the opposing team... All of these teams have really built up their superstar wings and forwards to really combat the the Clippers and the Lakers of the world. The Nuggets have still gone the other way. They still have a foundational point guard and a foundational center. If those guys are at their best, there are very few teams that can realistically defend the Jokic-Murray pick-and-roll. Uh Think about the Lakers for a second. They were defending that in crunch time with Alex Caruso and Anthony Davis. And no offense to Alex Caruso, but I actually, I think that that's a a matchup that Denver can realistically win. I think that Jokic takes a little bit of time to figure out Anthony Davis, but he would eventually figure it out. Or at least could. Could definitely figure it out. But to answer I Miss Malik's question, in your opinion, are the Nuggets serious title contenders? Yes. I believe they are a serious title contender or as serious as any team in the West or the East can be that is chasing Milwaukee or the LA teams this year. Those teams are the favorites. It's undeniable. If you have Giannis, if you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, or if you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, then you're automatically going to be considered the favorite, despite whether you've earned it or not. 
most people believe that those are the teams that have the largest chance, and they do. I, I think I agree with them. They have a lot of talent. But the Nuggets have a lot of talent too, and I think that the Nuggets could upset any one of them. Now, it would be tough to upset all three, and I think that that would be a really difficult thing for Denver if they got the the Clippers in the second round, the Lakers in the conference finals, and then the Bucks in the NBA finals. That is a grind, and I would be I would be tired if I was Nikola Jokic. I'm tired already. Um, but the best thing for Denver, the best way for things to break for the Nuggets, is if they get a top three seed, while the Clippers drop to fourth place. That would put them in the same side as the Lakers, and it's very similar to what happened with the Nuggets last year. It's not because the Nuggets are fearful of the Clippers. But if you're the Nuggets, would you rather have to face both of them? Or would you rather have to face just one if you were able to get to the conference finals, if you were fortunate enough to get there? I think the answer is pretty obvious. Those are the two teams that I think the Nuggets perceive to be the most dangerous. I think Denver sees themselves as a team that can beat any of the other teams straight up, whether they have home court or not, but especially if they have home court. They earned that. They're going to earn a top four seed, in my opinion. And that's that's going to be really important for them. If the Clippers were to beat the Lakers, Denver would be a massive challenge for Kawhi, Paul George, and the rest of the Clippers because Nikola Jokic would dominate the paint. There is nobody on the Clippers that can match up with him physically. We've seen Marcus Morris try to do it when he was in New York, and Jokic took him to school, and when he wasn't scoring, he was passing to open guys. Kawhi Leonard can't defend him in the post. Neither can Paul George. Neither of those guys have the the physicality to be able to match up with him consistently. So that leaves Ivisa Zubac or Montrez Harrell. Jokic has already torched Montrez Harrell, and Harrell just doesn't have the size to be able to really match up with him consistently. He's like Kenneth Fareed, but a little bit better. That player doesn't defend Jokic. The other option is Zubac. And that's a little bit more dangerous. Zubac has given Jokic a little bit more problems than any of those other guys. Kind of like Jakob Pertl or, or guys of that nature. But I still think that in most of those situations... Jokic wins, and he'll eventually figure that out, just like he figured out Pirtle. And the Clippers aren't going to be able to keep Zubac on the floor consistently anyway, because he kind of hurts their offense. He's not in a good position to be a consistent pick-and-roll guy. He doesn't offensive rebound like you need from that position, especially if you've got Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Lou Williams on the team. So I think the Nuggets can beat any of those teams it would make it a lot easier if the Clippers were to beat the Lakers. But once you get to the finals, if that were to happen, it's it really is like anything is possible at that point. Anything, like if you're Denver and you get matched up with the Milwaukee Bucks, then you just got to feel good about yourselves. And the Milwaukee Bucks could certainly sweep the Nuggets because Milwaukee is a dominant team. But the Nuggets have some personnel that can match up with them. Jeremy Grant did a great job when he matched up with Milwaukee last time. He's done a great job in the past. Paul Millsap has the physicality to be able to do it. 
Not sure if he has the athleticism anymore. But when Giannis moves to the five, that's going to be a really interesting battle between Giannis and Jokic. I think that Jokic is up for that. I really do. And if Giannis has to go through Jokic in order to really make an impact as a center, as a small ball five, which really it's not really that small, um, then the Nuggets are going to be an interesting position because they have other guys that can really go at that matchup. Once they space out Giannis and they've taken Brook Lopez off the floor, anything is possible. It's a long shot, of course. But would you really be surprised if the Nuggets were to get into that position for Jamal Murray to just continue to play well? Or for Nikola Jokic to just continue to cook? I wouldn't be. I think Will Barton is a really good piece in that situation. I think Michael Porter Jr. probably plays a lot in that series. Jeremy Grant plays a lot in that series. And of course it's a long shot. But it's not impossible. So do the Nuggets have an opportunity to be a really serious contender? Yes. Yes, they do. Playoff Joker asks, What does MPJ have to do to get back on the court and in the guaranteed rotation again? And he emphasized again in all caps because it took a long time for MPJ to really get accustomed to playing rotation minutes earlier this year. And it probably is a little bit exhausting for Nuggets fans to see him have to go through the similar song and dance that he had to earlier. He proved that he deserved some rotation time, and I think he's going to continue to get those opportunities. I have a prediction. I think he will play in every single game he's healthy in going forward. That doesn't necessarily include the playoffs, but for the regular season especially, I think he will play in every single game that he's healthy, that he's suited up for. The reason is, the Nuggets know what he means to them. They know what he means to this season. They know what he means to the future. He could be a franchise-changing player. I laid out a plan in Stat of the Week yesterday in how the Nuggets could try and deploy Porter, how they could figure out how to get him going, going forward. It involves the following main points. I'll I'll summarize it for you. Basically, number one, play him with Nikola Jokic. Porter is a great cutter. He has great instincts. Jokic has great vision. He can make all of those passes. They've already connected on several passes over the course of January. I think they could continue to do that. I think he would be in a really good position to be a good cutter, whether it's at the power forward or small forward position. I would love to see what he can do. I would also play him in more catch-and-shoot situations. He's a guy who needs rhythm. He needs a, a rhythm opportunity, a rhythm jump shot, a rhythm layup to really get into the game. I think the last couple of times he's had his first touch, they've been bad shots. They've been leaning mid-range fallaways or or contested jumpers in general. That's not the way to get yourself going, and the Nuggets have to know that. They have to start designing plays and put him in situations where he can get an easy basket. They didn't do that over the last couple of games. I was there. I watched the Oklahoma City game from my couch. I know what happened. Um, They ran some plays to get him touches, but the plays that they ran for him most of the time were not the kind of plays that you get a cut were to get a an open three, or they, they didn't really put him on, on the perimeter to really space the floor while Nikola Jokic was out there. So 
I'm looking forward to seeing what they do, whether they can put him in some of those catch-and-shoot situations. He's one of the best catch-and-shoot players in the NBA this year. He's been awesome. The Nuggets should continue to cultivate that, plain and simple. Third thing is to give him the ball, just let him do stuff. It's not necessarily about just having him out there, about him getting shot attempts. It's how those shot attempts come. Like I said, it's spot-ups, it's cuts, it's easy ways to get him, like maybe an easy post-up right under the basket. But also, let him play with the ball in his hands. He has shown the ability to be able to handle the basketball, to be able to make good reads when he has the ball in his hands. He doesn't always make the right read, but he makes it enough of the time that I think it's okay to at least give him an opportunity to play in the pick and roll with somebody, play in the pick and roll with Jeremy Grant or Mason Plumley. Maybe you get a good switch in those situations and it's a favorable matchup for Denver. That's a good thing. He's a guy who can beat switches, whether they're they're big guys and he can get around them, or they're small guys and he can shoot over them. He has the talent, he's shown the ability, he has pretty decent instincts that when he's in kind of a motion offense, he knows where the next pass is going to be. I would love to see him in that situation where he just continues to find the open guy while he's in the flow of the offense in a lot of opportunities. The offense hasn't had a lot of flow with Grant, Plumley, and Porter out there. Add Tory Craig to that to that trio and make that ugly quartet. It's not a good look, and that's my next thing, is to go small with Porter at the four. You can have three guards or wings around him, even Tory Craig, and then one of Jokic, Grant, Millsap, or Plumley at center, and you're probably fine. You're probably scoring. Porter has the size to defend most power forwards. He doesn't necessarily have the enough quickness or instincts to guard a small three. There will be situations where he can, and I think that the Nuggets should be switching Grant onto those guys anyway. But make it easy for the dude. Don't ask him to guard guys that he's not comfortable guarding. Put him in a situation where he has to think a little bit less, and then he can start focusing on how he attacks teams on the offensive end. His offense really leads to good defense. When he's in a rhythm, when he's comfortable, when he's clicking, when he sees the ball go through the net, he's a good player. He can be great. The Nuggets have to continue cultivating that. And then last question for today, at NateGordon05 asks, to what extent should, could, may next year's projected roster have on this season's rotations? For example, playing Jeremy Grant bigger minutes because Plumlee and Millsap may be gone. <coughs> oh, drink some water. I think it's very possible. I think the Nuggets have already kind of seen that. We've already seen Michael Malone go out of his way to play Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, and Nikola Jokic in almost every game for the last two months that they've all been healthy. I think if even if it's only for a small stretch or two, those that trio has played a lot. That could be Denver's starting front court next year, and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. And we've already seen it with Jeremy Grant. He's been a high-minute guy. I think he'll probably be re-signed next year, and that's something that the Nuggets have already invested a first-round pick in, so they're not going to just let him walk. 
they like him, and they they should. He's a good player. Torrey Craig has also been a high-minute guy in many situations, and it makes me think that Denver will do what they can to re-sign him. If he gets a massive offer and wants to go somewhere else, whether it's like it's in the double digits or he or it's just a, a price tag that the Nuggets just aren't willing to pay, then they may let him walk. But if he's in a situation where they can bring him back for roughly five, six million a year, that's probably a good deal, especially if he's in a position where he can be an impactful bench defender. I like him in that situation, especially if the Nuggets have the versatility to go small. If he's a three next to Porter and Grant, I think that works. If he's a two next to Porter, Grant, and Plumley, that's a tough ask because he has to then shoot a lot, and that's just not really his game. Uh, we also haven't seen a ton of Jokic and Plumley this year. Some of that could be due to what Denver doesn't want to commit to a significant time with that lineup. They've already seen how the Jokic-Plumlee lineup works, and they know it's good. You would think that they would go back to it, but they haven't. I think that's intentional. There have been some situations where it would be helpful, but they haven't really done it. Maybe they're saving it for the playoffs. Maybe they're saving it for different situations. I would like to see them play those two guys on March 15th against the Clip or against the Lakers in that final game. I think that would be an interesting data point. I also want to see Michael Porter Jr. defend Anthony Davis, so there's that too. Um, But they're also going to let Michael Porter Jr. continue to play, continue to develop. He's the biggest key to the future and for future seasons. He has played, and it, it is relatively annoying for a lot of people that he's in the single digits in terms of minutes coming out of the break. But people have to remember... He sat out for three weeks. He sat out for three weeks of real time. He wasn't looking great. He isn't looking super comfortable. Maybe it just takes a little bit of time for him to get back into it, and he looks much better against this Detroit team tonight if you're listening on Tuesday. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think he has the capability, and if he plays well, I think Michael Malone's going to continue to play him 20 minutes a game or so. I don't think he's in a really good situation to succeed if he's playing next to Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee all the time. That lineup, as I expressed in my stat of the week yesterday, it's not a good lineup, not a good trio. So hopefully the Nuggets can go away from that. Hopefully they can figure out how to play all of those guys without playing that lineup specifically. I think they can do it. It just takes it takes some effort from Michael Malone and some hard choices on on some of those guys. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Thank you for so much for your questions. Really appreciate it. If you want me to do another mailbag over the course of the the rest of the year, then let me know in the comments of this article. Let me know on Twitter, at NBA Blackburn. Once again, if you're in town on Friday night, head over to Stoney's. That's going to be a really fun time gonna have watch that game watch the nuggets win over the clippers and change the national narrative about themselves it's gonna be great i'm really excited thank you so much for tuning in i will see you guys on friday 